you know what? Never mind. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Sometimes it's better. That's it. That's all I got. Sometimes it's just better. Welcome to the Dude Catholic Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian, here with a few men who know that if Apple made a car, the only thing it would miss would be Windows. Oh, well, that's good. Worse every week. Every week. <laughs> I think can't get worse. Oh, I'm Javier. Dennis. I'm Corey. Yeah, you are. Today, we continue and finish our conversation on the nativity. I think it was it was kind of a, an interesting start, like really quick and so many things. But I'm glad that the last time, uh, Corey was able to kind of bind everything together neatly to make sense out of, out of the chaos that, was, that seemed to be happening. Believe it or not, this time we actually had notes. So, yeah. This is this is the charm of the Dude Catholic podcast. Indeed. So let's let's keep going on that on that note because because the last part the last part of what we were talking about we're we're kind of kind of expanding on that whole idea that God enriches humanity and humanity has nothing to give God. You know we can we can talk about the experience. Whoop! There you go. Playing footsie again, Javier. Um, <laughs> gonna cut that out, don't we? Um, we can focus on on the experience that I guess Jesus got himself experienced becoming human. But I think one of the when and anyone can expand on this afterwards. Um, but I think one of the things that we that we get another thing that we get from from that whole experience is that God is not willing to give us a challenge that He's not willing to meet Himself. Like He's not going to challenge us to to go through something that He's not willing to do Himself. You know, and so in that we get a huge example and we get we get him as the most vulnerable of all beings, you know, and you look at the animal kingdom giraffes like they pop out, they flop down their moms and they start walking like we take a year. To get on our feet, you know, give or take like we take about a year to get on our feet like we can't even scratch, you know, it, we are one of the most vulnerable beings upon birth in the whole animal kingdom. You know, and to think that the creator of the world came into that situation, you know, and in that type of poverty, that's just mind blowing to me. Yeah. Um, that God entered history, entered um, time, Right. And I want to I want to touch on that, um, maybe touch about a little bit of, of Pope Benedict, the 16th book, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, that, that that those three books, wonderful books. If you've never read them, please highly encourage you to, to read those. Um, one of the things that Pope Benedict highly uh, focuses on and tries to make very clear is that uh, the nativity is not just an event of um 
of faith. It's a historical event. It's something that really happened. And I'm emphasizing that because nowadays you have all these scholars, you have all these people saying, well, Jesus is a great faith person to believe in, right? He's, you know, the Jesus of faith, right? And you have the Jesus of faith and you have the Jesus of history and they divide them. That the Jesus of faith is very different than the Jesus of history, that they're not one in the, in the same. Nothing can be further from the truth, right? Uh, the, the nativity is a historical event. God becoming man is a historical event. He was born in the city of Bethlehem, as, as Dennis pointed out, which, which means in Hebrew, house of bread, which obviously indicates that Jesus is the living bread that was going to come down from heaven. He was going to become the Eucharist that we feed on that would give us eternal life. And they would also do his ministry in Jerusalem and die in Jerusalem like David, who uh, exercised his priesthood and his kingship in Jerusalem. And when did all this happen? When did Jesus become man or born in, into uh, existence, into time? He did this during the time of Caesar Augustus or the rule of the Roman Empire. Uh, and this was a time where there was peace. There was no war. Matter of fact, this is why uh, Caesar Augustus decided to have a census, because there was peace and there's no wars. It was a time of peace. And it was the perfect time uh, for Jesus to be born, but also uh, to be born into the Roman Empire. Why? Because if you think about it, the Roman Empire uh, enveloped a lot of part, <laughs> I mean, a lot of continent, a lot of a lot of uh, real estate of the world. And if Jesus could somehow touch the Roman Empire, he would his his gospel, his message, his good news of, of salvation would be able to to travel quickly uh, because of all the means of transportation and communications uh, that the Roman Empire provided. Uh, so it was it was it was for that reason I think that that he would be born into this period of time, which I love that that period of time. I I, I am very fascinated with uh, with the Roman Empire. And, you know, you, we, we fast forward now to his birth and, you know, we think about where Jesus was born. He was born in a cave or you could debate in a, in a barn, whatever. Uh, he was born in, in winter. And we can get into this, right? The winter solstice, which is, you know, the darkest time of the year. And, and um, you know, and it's, it, it's changing there. That period is changing to, to more light is coming in, right? Uh, the, the days are shorter, but then they become longer, right? Which is, again, you know, the light shining in the darkness. We can get into that, um, you know, the, the significance of that. But, but also how St. Alphonsus uh, says that uh, Jesus was born in the cold of winter. Why? Because from the moment he's born, he suffers, and not only is he suffering, but he's being persecuted. Think about it. From the moment he was born, King Herod was trying to kill him, right? He set out to kill him. This is what you call the, the, the slaughter of, of the holy innocents, right? From the very moment our Savior, our God, comes into this world, defenseless little God, little man God, we try to kill him. Forget rejecting him. We try to kill him. So... I want to interject and say that um, for those that want to see the evidence to how this is historical from the Gospels and even possibly extra biblical accounts, uh, if you look to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, 
the Gospel of Luke, there are two accounts of the infancy narrative, correct? And yeah. if you want to go to Trent Horn on Catholic Answers or Catholic.com, you can see there's an article by Trent Horn on the historicity of the infancy narratives. And um, our host will be able to post that in the, uh, the comment section um, of this podcast for those that want to read the article. It's very well done as there are a lot of historical critics that want to pose uh, a contradiction within the gospels, right? Which is ridiculous because it's the word of God and truth cannot contradict itself. Uh, and it doesn't, right? If you actually read the gospels in the proper order, uh, the sequences of events, you'll see that nothing contradicts itself with the infancy narratives whatsoever. And in fact, it just builds a more uh, reliable um, a testimony in, in court, really, because there are two different perspectives that Luke is giving and Matthew is giving, and they're building off of one another. And it's a beautiful thing, right? And so, you know, maybe Corey wants to talk more about that at some point uh, after. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, we'll be able to post it in there. You can read it. Um, but just something I want to point out that there's two genealogies. There's one from Luke, one from Matthew. And building up to what Javier was, was uh, speaking of, uh, which was beautiful, by the way. I, I think that uh, people want to look at something very important in the gospel, right? Uh, especially, I would say, in the gospel of Matthew, we have a focus on the fact that St. Matthew is writing to the Jews, right? But St. Luke is writing to the Hellenists. Basically, uh, we'll just say the Gentiles or even the Jews that be that became Greek in their culture, Right. Um, and we have those two different perspectives that I wanted to bring up last time as well from Isaiah. And I'll just fill this in very quickly that maybe another reason why some Jews don't prefer reading Isaiah is because Isaiah actually speaks of the, the distant peoples, right? The Gentiles, the peoples of the islands that are going to be brought in right to the fullness of the truth, uh, the fullness of the church. And it's, the salvation is not simply for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. And Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before Christ. And we see that the Gospels are written really not simply to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. And, and we see that different emphasis on uh, St. Matthew's writing primarily to the Jews, the chosen people, and St. Luke, who's writing to the Hellenist, right? And... And something I want to focus on is Matthew for the Jews, any Jews that may be listening even, that if you look at the uh, gematria, right, the gematria of David, which is basically just this, uh, this term that, that refers to the meaning of someone's name by numbers, right? We're not going to get into all that right now, but basically uh, 464 is the name of David. And we see that over and over again, 14. Four plus six plus four is 14. And so we see that mentioned 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations, generations from this time to this time to the Babylonian exile. Oh, and then to the Messiah. Right. We have 14, 14, 14 different sets of generations. And we see that being mentioned in, in Matthew because Matthew is basically saying David, David, David to those that are reading it, making them realize, wait a minute, this is the long awaited king of Israel that is going to bring salvation that we've been long awaiting for from the Romans. And if you read the prophecy from Daniel, we see that a, a rock 
right, is, is taken off and, it, and it, it's thrown into the statue that, that Daniel is describing in the book of Daniel, the prophecy there. And it hits the part of the statue that is represented by the Roman Empire, which I believe is, is the material of iron. And it becomes a giant boulder, right? So it destroys the statue that's made up of all these worldly kingdoms, right? As Javier is mentioning, the kingdom, the Oricori as well, uh, the, the kingship. And so we see that Christ in Matthew 16, 18, the same gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, you are Peter upon this rock, I'll build my church. And that rock goes to Rome dies there and becomes a great boulder, which is the Catholic church. That is that universal kingdom Amen. that is prophesied. And so again, just to focus on when you're hearing these, these long, right. These long gospels referring to the, uh, the ancestors of Jesus. Don't just, uh, you know, don't just daze off because it's significant what's being uh, spoken of there in, in, in those accounts. Okay. That was awesome. <clears throat> I'm glad you brought up the 14, 14, 14, because it's just very few people understand that. And when you do, it's just, yeah, the, a very heavy emphasis on David. I want to take a step back really quick for those who have been following along, especially last episode and now into this episode. I know we're throwing a lot at you. And uh, Adrian had, had asked the people, uh, the listeners here, that during the season, that you open yourself up to Christ just the slightest bit. And what I, I hope you're, you're witnessing here is all of us, uh, and this isn't to raise us up to any level that's better than anybody, but we've let Christ in and we're seeing the infinite depth of scripture. And, and, and it just, it continues to go, the well is endless on what is revealed to humanity and the symbolism and the significance of all these stories. And I'm, I'm going to add to it. I'm going to add to what Dennis said, but I just wanted people to see that, like, this is not us speaking. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through us all because we let Christ in. Um, so to continue on, first to the historicity. We have non-biblical sources. We have Tacitus, who's a Roman historian. He writes in the Histories Book 5 about how right at around the time that the nativity is taking place, there is a mass exodus of the pagan gods that are happening. that's happening in Greece. To the east of Jerusalem, so that's to the west of Jerusalem. To the east of Jerusalem, in the, uh, there's a book called The Annals of the Celestial Empire, which takes place, I believe, in modern-day China. And there is these sages that wrote a book that the emperor had was looking at a bright star in the sky and sent them from the east to go and investigate what that star means. And there's a great documentary that I saw a few years ago from a colleague, a former colleague of mine in Javier's. His name's Connor. He was on the on this podcast before. He showed it to me, and it's called The Star of Bethlehem. And it was an astronomer that was able through computer modeling to go back through the celestial bodies back to the time that we believe Jesus was born. And at that time period, a very, very, very rare phenomena was taking place in which Jupiter and Venus were perfectly aligned. Now you take away all of the backlighting of the cities that we have now. Think about when you go out to the desert, you can see all the stars. People living out in the east in the in the desert would have been able to see the alignment of Venus and, and Jupiter, and it would have been like a great star in the sky. It would have led people to wonder what that means. So there's astronomical, I believe that's the way you say it, uh, evidence. There's historical evidence from the West, historical evidence from the East that's not in the Bible that's saying all these events are taking place. And then to get deeper into the symbolism, you have in Luke's gospel, 
you have shepherds, you have angels. In Matthew's gospel, you have magi. The magi represent the Gentiles. The shepherds represent the Jewish people. The angels represent heaven. At the Garden of Eden, paradise, heaven, and earth are separated through the sins of Adam and Eve. We know that Mary is the new Eve and Jesus is the new Adam. And this is called typology in scriptural studies. And at the birth of Jesus, you have the coming together of the Gentiles, the Jews, which represent all of earth, and angels that represent heaven. That the birth of Jesus into the world is the, is the bringing together of heaven and earth, not only in his body is fully God, fully man, but, but all of the world is coming around this single, this single event. It's shaping the rest of human history, which, which we call in our tradition salvation history from that point in time. The gold, frankincense, and myrrh, I think people always wonder about that. Why, why is there gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Um, I know Dr. Scott Hahn, who's a very revered biblical scholar, who's also a professor that taught me, Javier, and Dennis. Uh, he says that the gold represents the, the royalty of Jesus Christ. The myrrh so, uh, represents his humanity because that's what they use to anoint dead bodies, uh, to embalm uh, and anoint dead bodies. And frankincense was used by the Levitical priesthood, so it re represents his divinity. So you have these gifts in which even the Gentile world is, is, is recognizing that before their very eyes, there is divinity, there's humanity coming together, and, and he's royal. And I've also heard before that it represents uh, his kingship, his, uh, you know, he's, he's priest, prophet, king is what we say in the tradition. Um, and so just, yeah, there's a great depth to the understanding. Let Christ in, let the Holy Spirit guide you in this. And don't doubt for a minute that this is pure faith. Reason supports this from external uh, sources as well, and science as well. Boom. I'm afraid to talk because anything I'm going to say right now is just going to bring down the intellectual <laughs> quality of the podcast. <laughs> so here we go. <laughs> I, hey, I kid, I kid. No, um, there's this, there's this, uh, there's this verse. I just kind of, I was scrolling through the dude Catholic page. And back when I used to make images with uh, scriptural verses and whatnot, um, I made one um, that got posted back in December 23rd, 2019, before pandemic times. It's something that just, it, as, as I came to it, I just had to stop and read it. And it said, but who will endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like the refiner's fire or like the fuller's eye, you know, taking it back to what Javier was saying, as soon as he came, you know, not only was he, not only was he vulnerable, you know, Jesus was very vulnerable. He made himself into one of the species that's most vulnerable on planet earth, but they were trying to kill him right away, right from the get go. Why? Because whenever we encounter Christ, you know, even if you, if you look at the gospels, people either wanted to follow him and leave everything behind, or they wanted to kill him. Very few were in between. And the one that was, you know, if you're thinking about the, the rich young man, like he was devastated when he, when he saw that he wasn't willing to leave his riches and give them to the poor and follow him. I hear he was later on one of the people that joined Jesus, but I can't remember the exact thing. So I'm not going to talk about it too much. But when we encounter God, that, that's, that's going to be it. You know, if we have a true encounter, if we're honest with ourselves and say, this is the real deal, you know, this is God, he's coming into my life. I 
cracked the door open and he, he barged in. We're either going to be terrified or we're going to be just delighted in the fact that he's in here. You know, and that's and that's something that hopefully we can take to heart in this in the season, because we've been talking intellectually speaking, you know, and we're going to reach a bunch of people that way because we want evidence. You know, some of us are eager for that evidence. Some of us want to hear about about Tacitus. Some of us want to hear about blanking out on Josephus. There you go on Josephus name. Um, historians. Yeah. yeah. All these historians, you know, he is in the uh, Talmud as well. Yeah. In the Talmud. Nice. So we get we get all this historical evidence. We know that there's that there's reasons for the faith. You know, we're supposed to have them. But for the person who wants to believe, no evidence is necessary. But for the person that doesn't want to believe, no evidence will suffice. Mm. You know, and so I'm glad that we're touching on both of those things. But like I said, you know, I'm not going to speak without dumbing the conversation down. So one of the things that I'm looking forward to is you know, speaking about incarnation, speaking about the flesh, you know, we are sensory people, you know, and we are, we're, we're the religion of stuff, you know, and so one of those things about that I love about this season is that it reaches every single sense, the smell, the touch, what we hear, you know, the stories, the songs, all this stuff, you know, it's part of the incarnation. And it shouldn't it shouldn't just pass by us as something insignificant because it God made it and he made us this way for a reason. You know, it's because he's going to reach us some way if we allow it. You know, if we allow him, he'll reach us through in my culture, tamales. You know, he's going to reach us through food. He's going to reach us through song. He's going to reach us through, like I mentioned earlier, the wax burning my hand as a child, you know, <laughs> because I wanted just to, just to take the heat, you know, on that cold night and experience cold and heat at the same time. And like, and, and that's the thing, God will reach us where we're at if we let him, because he made himself into the least of us so that he could reach all of us. Yeah. And that's exactly what he wanted to do. I mean, we talk about, as Corey was talking about the Magi um, brought the gifts to, to, to the baby Jesus. And, you know, let's just stop and take a moment to, to think about, again, the baby Jesus, that, that God himself became a defenseless little baby, right? A tiny, cute little baby. Those of you who, who have, have held the little baby who are fathers, who are mothers, um, thinking about how Mary looked upon Jesus, not only as her God, which is, again, beyond us, but also as her little baby, defenseless little baby. Going back to the Magi, the Magi, you know, represents the Gentiles, represents all of us who are not the Jews, how God came to save us all. And, and as Adrian was talking about, um, different things, I, I, it, it made me think about how in Mexico, we celebrate El Dia de los Reyes Magos, right? We celebrate the Epiphany as our day of Christmas when we exchange gifts and so on and so forth. I don't know about you, but I remember uh, growing up and I remember uh, my mom, uh, obviously I didn't know it was my mom at that time. And I didn't believe in Santa, but I believed in, in Los Reyes Magos. We, I believed in the Magi. And my mom would put gifts in our shoes. Uh, do you do you remember having I that? I remember that tradition. I never, we never did that. We were one of those weird families, raised in Mexico too, by the way. Yeah, I mean, I was they raised here. I wasn't raised in Mexico, but my mom would do that, and we didn't do the Santa thing, but we we did 
the the three kings i remember every That's year awesome. like i found money or i found a gift in my shoes or this on the tree and i was like and my mom would be like oh yeah that was you know the los reyes or, or the, the three kings and i was like oh my gosh and i believed in them i never believed in santa but i believed in keep, keep it low my kids are in the other room dude <laughs> I believed in the three kings, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, it's a beautiful tradition. And then there's another tradition too, that comes with the epiphany, uh, is called La Rosca, right? Uh, I'm sure Adrian knows about that one. I know about that one. It is. Right, yeah. right. I get the baby Jesus every year, buddy. <laughs> oh, dang. So, you, so you, you throw the party in February. My wife, my wife's family, that my wife wanted me to ask Javier if he knows about the Rosca because we do it every year for her family. All right, so real, real quickly, La Rosca de Reyes would be that um, it's it looks like a racetrack to me. You know, oh, it's, it's actually like supposed to be a, a, a crown. A, yes, it's supposed to be sig signify a crown, and that's why it has like all the little. Uh, they look like gummies to me. They're made yeah, out of it's a fruit. Yeah, fruit candy, basically, and uh, and inside jewels, inside. Yeah. It has like little little baby Jesus. It's supposed to have one because only one person sure. in that family, in that community is supposed to throw the party on the day of uh, the presentation. La, there you go. The presentation. February also known the as La Candelabria. Yeah, that's Candelabria. Right. yeah that, that's Candelabria. it. Yeah. That's, that's accurate. You the have the baby that, Jesus, yeah. right? And he's hidden inside of this king uh, shaped like crown cake and you cut it up and whoever... Um, gets the little uh, baby Jesus, the little, you know, plastic baby Jesus. Hopefully you don't choke on it and die, but. <laughs> but it's happening. Some people swallow it so they don't throw the party. <laughs> you're, you're, you're considered baby Jesus's uh, godparents, right? Because then you throw a party for baby Jesus on the presentation, which is when he gets circumcised, which is the equivalent of baptism, right? Um, that's where that happens, right? Um, but also the, the significance of the baby Jesus hiding within the bread is how Jesus hid or how Joseph and Mary hid Jesus from King Herod uh, during the, the, the slaughter of the holy innocents. So he wouldn't get the knife. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, there it is. And another thing, you know, maybe I, maybe I see what you're doing right now. You know, it's like amongst all these other traditions, you know, because this is not an official like straight from the Vatican tradition. This is an adaptation of the Latino culture, you know? And so just in closing, you know, just to just to bring my my rant to a close, you know, whether it's in, in the cultural celebrations or in the, uh, the mundane, just try to find Jesus in them because our culture is doing its darn best to make sure that we forget about Jesus in the midst of all these lights and bedazzling of, of this Christian celebration. You know, whatever, whatever it is that you do during Christmas, remember to bring up Christ because without, I, I hate to sound like this, that he is the reason for the season, but he is the reason for the season, you know, and, uh, and that, that's going to be my closing thought, you know, that in, in the midst of all this, always, always find Christ, make a little bit of room for him, let him in. Amen. And in closing, I, I, I want to say that I think it's important to remember the reason for the season, right? As, as cliche as that sounds, I think, you know, we get so caught up in, in the lights and, and the trees and the Christmas parties and the gifts and all that. And we forget uh, to, to, to really take a moment and remember that we're celebrating the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's like, it's like going to a birthday party, you having a birthday party and all these people show up 
and they all bring gifts. Nobody brings a gift for you. Nobody says happy birthday to you. Nobody even gives you a cake to, you know, to blow out the candles. I mean, how would you feel, right? Let us remember uh, to, to, to welcome Jesus, not only into our hearts, but to remember that we are not only celebrating his birth, but we're awaiting his second coming. I would say here in, in Buffalo, New York, we have a lot of snow uh, when, when Christmas comes and, you know, there could be a, a focus on Santa Claus bringing gifts, you know, a Rudolph, uh, the red-nosed reindeer, et cetera. But again, just to go back to even um, that tradition um, of, of Santa Claus bringing gifts, uh, we need to go back to St. Nicholas, who was a real bishop of the early church in Mira, and how he actually gave gifts uh, to save uh, little, uh, to save these girls from becoming prostitutes, right? Uh, so he gave gifts of money, um, which saved them from being sold off as prostitutes. So let's focus on how, how we should incorporate, again, um, our Catholic faith into that aspect. And also here in the Buffalo Diocese, um, it's, it's, it's uh, dedicated to St. Joseph, and it's the ending of the year of St. Joseph. And to really focus on how in the Eastern tradition, uh, St. Joseph is being uh, tempted um, by Satan, actually, during the time of, of the birth of, of Mary. And that we should, again, be guided by faith, not by sight, by the light of Christ amidst the darkness. I would just say in close, closing with this, that um, whatever your family traditions are during this during the holiday season, try to find Christ in that. Remember the great paradox. The more that you give, the more that you receive. Try to be Christ to others and so they can see Christ in you. And uh, just remember that worship means worship. Whatever is highest worth to you is what you're going to worship. And so as you prepare for a new liturgical year and a new new year, um, think about what you're going to place as highest worth to you and uh, hopefully meditating upon what the nativity means. You put Christ first and then that's who and what you worship going forward in your life. And on the behalf of uh, Dude Catholic, we want to wish you and your family a very, very blessed Merry Christmas. And Merry pray Christmas. for us. As we pray for you. Ferrum. Ferrum. Aquitur. Aquitur.